Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. Thanks for tuning in to Sacred City Vision Drip. What I want to do today is take a little bit of time to unpack um, some, some, some things that I mentioned in the sermon on Sunday, specifically in relation to uh, governmental opposition to the gospel. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty significant piece in the story of Ezra as we go on, even into Nehemiah, um, all kinds of opposition and uh, legalities that get placed in front of them that make it hard for them to carry out the mission. So if if you've been with us, you know that going through this book, it's it's a story about rebuilding the ruins. God's people had been unfaithful. God issued his judgment on them. Their city was destroyed. They were taken away in Babylonian exile and kind of left there for uh, a a handful of decades. And um, and God, we see him being faithful to the faithless, and he calls his people back home to rebuild a home for himself, stirs up in the king's heart to do this. Um, he, he collects and prompts people to give generously for the mission, and then, of course, the laborers to go back and actually uh, undertake this, this large project. And we see that this is like a good thing, uh, that they're doing here to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city. Um, it's something that God is behind. Um, it's something that God's about. He calls his people to it. It's his idea. Um, and so we see it's a good and noble thing, yet they face opposition. In chapter 4, They start the neighbors from Samaria come and, and start to fearmonger and, and uh, disrupt the plans and the supply chain that makes it pretty difficult for them uh, to keep building, but they keep pressing on. And last Sunday we saw... Um, in the second part of chapter four, where this this sort of escalated to a whole new level. Well, first we actually looked at the the chronology issue, uh, dealing with uh, dating Ezra and Nehemiah, um, and, and who do we trust? Do we trust the Word of God? Do we trust the Scriptures? And as we we address some of these difficulties of of um, getting the precise dates, because because what we have in Ezra and Nehemiah and a lot of the Old Testament prophets is you have. Um, the year of, or the second year of the King Blank's reign, you know, so it's, it's really hard to figure out what exactly, um, the precise date is, and, and we can kind of get within a ballpark, but it's never very clear. Um, and, and by the way, that, that whole problem with chronology gets resolved in our times because we have a universal dating system. Every, every other country at that point, they had their own dating system based on who is on the throne at that point. Well, uh, as Christians and, and in the Western civilization, there's this general uh, recognition that um, Jesus is the one that's on the throne. And so our the dating system of A.D., B.C., D.C., uh, B.C., oh man, I think an A.C., D.C. No, I'm saying B.C. and A.D. 
AD, um, before Christ, and AD stands for Anno Domini, which means year of the Lord. Um, and, and it rightly, we recognize it rightly revolves around Jesus. All of time, all of space, all of history revolves around Jesus. It's just another indicator that Jesus is Lord of all. And our Western civilization, um, at least generally speaking, has some recognition of that. Um, okay, so once we dealt with that issue, we got to see how this opposition intensified. Um, the adversaries start working through policy and political power to disrupt everything that they've got going on for them in Jerusalem. And by the end of chapter 4, these adversaries are able to bring a halt to the mission, all because they wrote a, a letter to the king, as every series of letters, actually. Um, and, and they appear to at least be temporarily successful in this, this uh, sabotage that they're trying to uh, wage. And um, in that section... Um, I voyaged into the choppy waters of our own circumstances because I think one of the things that um, we see the governmental opposition, we see the king issuing an edict that um, prevents the mission from moving forward, and and more and more over the last decade, we have seen uh, perhaps more than ever a, a rise in governmental uh, at least like casting a shadow over uh, religious practices, but especially in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of threats uh, from the powers that be on the rise. And in some situations, that power has uh, been used in legislation. Um, and in some places, it's just the threat of something um, in, in, in attempts to frustrate the mission of God. And... Uh, I, I realize this as I've been talking. I I've adopted language of the mission of God as of as of late that expands beyond um, the 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 reach that I maybe previously would use that term. Um, the mission of God. Usually, when we talk about the mission of God, we're talking about seeing new converts and and new people come to know Jesus, and that's certainly a part of it. Um, but the mission of God is, is actually a huge mission, not just to see converts, but for the whole earth to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Um, the, the Great Commission says this, to go and make disciples, so to disciple the nations that all people, all places, and times would know that Jesus is Lord, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son, Holy Spirit, and then to teach them to obey all of Jesus' commands. So rightly recognizing Jesus as the King of the cosmos and submitting to his gracious rule rule, and reign. And when we think of it, the mission of God in those terms, this gives us a broader scope, uh, broader range for the mission of God um, that's more than just salvations. It's all of things coming into submission of Jesus and Christ, Jesus Christ, in all, all places, all people, all time, that the glory of Christ would abound as we worship our King and Savior. And so to, I think the shift that I've experienced is, is a, a redefinition of what this means. That includes the previous uh, you know, the, the previous tendencies that we have to talk about conversions and, and people coming to know Jesus. But I, I think the, the broader, more biblical perspective is the mission of God is to generate joyful cosmic obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we say that, that's the mission of God, that's the mission that the church gets swept up into to generate joyful cosmic obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
then we might be wondering how is it that the government is uh, interfering um, or, or at least trying to create some sort of resistance to that mission. And, and how does legislation um, play a role in that, whether it be federal government or local government? And so what I did on Sunday was I gave a few examples uh, of that, places where we've seen some of this resistance or, or general opposition. And uh, I got to mention them, but I didn't have a lot of time to unpack them because each one of them uh, is pretty um, complicated and loaded with details in its own way. Um, and so what I want to do is just kind of like unpack them a little bit here. And I, again, I can't go into them all the way. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of complexity to all of these things. But I, I can at least give you a layman summary of some of the things that are going on. And the first thing that I gave, the first instance of this sort of governmental interference um, had to do with uh, a church in L.A., Grace Community Church, led by John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur um, in, uh, in L.A., California, uh, where during COVID times, um, there were the statewide lockdowns to flatten the curve, right? That was the whole two weeks things, two weeks to flatten the curve. And during that time period, the church obliged to the, 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 uh, to that sort of, uh, well, the lockdowns, they stopped meeting in person, they went to digital, and then they realized as more information became available to, uh, through this COVID stuff and figuring out what was actually going on with it and what were actually the risks. And, and after six weeks of, of being um, in that lockdown state, uh, they decided to resume meeting and at, in person, uh, indoors. Um, and what happened was that the city came at them with a lawsuit because um, they said, hey, you're violating this, this mandate that we put out. You're violating this um, governor, governor's orders or whatever, whatever the category of this sort of uh, decree was. They're violating it. They're breaking the law. And so the city came to take them to court. Well, ultimately, the city failed because what they were doing was unconstitutional. Um, it went against the First Amendment rights. And so the church actually countersued the state or the city. I need to get this right, but it's one of those two. And they ended up winning that lawsuit. And um, it was like it was a pretty large settlement, $400,000 or, or I've even heard uh, up to $750,000. I'm not exactly sure what the real number is, but they, they countersued. Now, something we didn't understand uh, as Midwesterners, at least when I heard this, I because I heard about this John MacArthur and this church keep going on in COVID times. I was like, oh my gosh, that seems very irresponsible of them. And um, you know, there, maybe if we're just isolating um, in terms of COVID and stuff, perhaps that's true. Um, but one thing that we didn't understand as Midwesterners, people not being from California, was the ongoing hostility that the state and the city of L.A. LA was uh, issuing toward Grace Community Church. And so after that time domain, when they realized, listen, if they keep saying this, if they keep making these mandates, and, and even now there's um, L.A. is... is um, still probably one of the most severely regulated spots in regards to COVID right now. Um, they, they brought their elders together and said, let us, let's search the scriptures here. What should we do? Because it seems like there's a lot at stake. It's more than just, Hey, flatten the curve. Um, it seems like there's some governmental overreach here that if we give them this space, give them an inch, they're going to take a mile and it's unlikely that you'll ever get them back. And so they decided they knew the times and they decided to press forward with meeting for those who wanted to meet. Um, and a lot of people wanted to meet. And it was in that situation, in hindsight, looking back, at least from my perspective, I think it was right for them to not submit to the state in that regard. Um, because what, what the conclusion they came to is that Jesus is the head of the church, not Caesar. 
And so Jesus commands his people to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Jesus commands his people uh, to to not forsake the assembly and the gathering and to be present. And and also there's just a lot of there there was a lot of of uh, uh, what do you call it? There was a lot of extra um, hazard pay, I guess, for that that choice where people are isolated, they're feeling cut off, they're lonely, suicide rates skyrocketed, uh, mental health issues again spiked, all of these things. And so it was, I think it was right for them to to not submit to the state, not only in that specific instance in regard to COVID, but um, in, in seeing down the road further of if we give them an inch, they'll take a mile and we will have to fight tooth and nail if we ever want to get it back. And so this little battle now prevented a major war down the road. Um, and so that was one instance where we see the government getting in the way of normal church business, uh, of saying, hey, you can't gather, you can't do it that way. Um, there's other other places like that. There was um, a hymn sing in, uh, in Moscow, Idaho that got shut down outdoors. People from the church were gathering together, peaceful protest, yet singing the Psalms. And uh, th- that was... Uh, there were arrests made for that, all of these things of, of, you know, is the government standing in the way of people's rights to gather and to worship as, uh, as free Americans. And so we've, we've seen that, and, and there, there's a threat that sort of looms there with that of how far can the government go to interfere um, with the worship services. And, and one, of this, one of these instances is, is something that the, the church in Davenport across the river is thinking about because they meet in a, um, in a government building. It's owned by the city. And um, the city any day could literally kick them out. The city could any day say, hey, you cannot teach on this doctrine because we think it, it goes against uh, whatever our values are as a city. And so there, there is this regulation or, or um, uh, um, censorship that could easily happen when the government has uh, the ability to, or at least it looks like they've got this inroad to make some of these waves. And so it is something that that ought to be uh, uh, at least have our our, our eyes and e- eyes open and our ears open um, to see where this kind of stuff may be going on. Now I'm not saying let's go flip over rocks and um, and and just drum something up here. We don't need to create unnecessary. Um, an unnecessary stink here, but when there are blatant examples of that, that's stuff that we've got to be in tune to and realize um, that that the government, um, and, and when I talk about the government, I'm not just talking about people who hold governmental pl- po- uh, positions, um, but when Paul talks about the adversaries or or the uh, the enemy being um, the powers, the principalities, uh, the governors, the rulers of this age, um, there there is a spiritual dimension behind whatever political office there is, and and when that is not brought into submission of Christ, then then the demonic and the uh, rebellion of God is going to um, manipulate and use those powers and those resources to interfere uh, with God's mission. Another instance that I brought to the table, um, which is probably one of the most concerning ones in real time, is this Canadian C4 bill um, that was recently passed, which prohibits conversion therapy. Um, And if you don't know, conversion therapy deals with someone who uh, struggles with um, sexual identity, someone who struggles struggles with um, uh, gender identity issues. So if if somebody came and said, hey, I have these homosexual tendencies and I don't want to, I don't like it and I know that it's against God's will and, and it's not what God wants for me. It's a sinful desire that needs to be kept in check. Um, 
in the past, there were these camps, these groups, these ministries that would help people struggling in that scenario. And uh, some of the techniques that they used were not helpful. Um, And yet there was some good biblical counseling that took place in the midst of those. But but the public public opinion of conversion therapy or even wrestling with the question of can you help a same-sex attracted person pursue either a, a lifestyle of celibacy or a lifestyle of of love for uh, or, or you know uh, of companionship with another the other gender, um, then yes, there is help and there is really good biblical counsel that can help people uh, lead the life that God has called us to live. Um, and even what is it in Titus? Is it Titus? He says this is the will of God to abstain from sexual immorality. He puts it right there. It's the will of God for that. Um, and so. The problem with this C4 bill, though, with in regards to conversion therapy, is how how broadly they, they define the term. So um, it's one thing to have like uh, a a practice where you're electroshocking people and you're you know uh, doing weird stuff with their brains and uh, you know like that stuff definitely not helpful in my opinion. Um, but there is other stuff, like I said, that would be helpful. But all of that stuff that would be helpful gets thrown. It's the baby that gets thrown out with the bathwater with um, being considered under the, the umbrella of conversion therapy, where even telling somebody that somebody who's biologically a male that says, I'm, I, I, feel, I, I feel like I'm a woman in a man's body, to tell them it is better for them to live as a male, as God has designed them, and to figure out some of the stuff that's going on underneath the surface there of what, what's leading them to, to want that and helping them to, to pursue a godly masculinity. Um, or, or even a same-sex attracted person who says, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I don't want to struggle with this. I want, I want to be, um, I, I want to honor God in my sexuality. Um, even counseling or preaching sessions where preaching um, a biblical sex ethic, preaching uh, the biblical view on gender um, would be considered a violation of this conversion therapy bill. Um, counseling, if somebody were to come to me in private as a pastor and say, hey, this is where I'm at, I couldn't give them biblical counsel, at least according to the law. And so th- this is an issue because what, what, the, what the, the government is doing is, is basically censoring some of the doctrines of the church. And they're important ju- doctrines. Um, they're not just the, these periphery things that, that, you know, okay, well, you know, and I would, I would say that there is no periphery doctrines, but, um, but, but this is very important. I mean, you think about uh, what's going on now, right now in our culture, and so much of this revolves around um, our, our sexual identity or, or just uh, an understanding of sexuality and how, how badly that's been warped by sin and gender too, all of these things. And so um, the government is coming in and basically saying, you can't say what the Bible says about these matters. And, and it's been passed in Canada, um, and we have seen similar pieces of legislation circul- circulating in the United States. So far, uh, praise the Lord, there has not been anything like that actually set in place and made into a law. However, even in states like Indiana, I mentioned um, Indiana Ordinance 3121 that comes, comes out of West Lafayette. Um, it, it's a relatively, Indiana is a conservative state, um, and you would think that this would be something that, okay, that you can see, you can see what's blanketed under a, uh, a piece of policy like that. And it was actually up for a vote, and um, thankfully it got it got voted down. So th- this this ordinance n- was not passed into a law. Um, there was not an outright ban of that, 
Um, but they did come out and, and the, the board or whoever was voting on this came out and condemned conver- con- conversion therapy um, with its broad definition. And so, I mean, like this stuff, sure, it's not law, but right now this is part of like cultural popular opinion that, that's being worked out here. And, and it basically always follows this way. That, that the policy is always downstream from the culture. So all of this is coming out of a cultural opinion, a, a mass opinion, or even maybe a loud uh, minority that, that is, is um, banging the drum of this sort of policy that is working to disrupt. Um, and it's, it's, it's a problem. And, and even to the point where um, it's, it's been criminalized, the C- Canadian bill, um, to be a pastor and to preach a, a sermon on biblical sexuality you could that could land you in jail for up to five years, you know, and so there there are, and then also not only that criminalization, but to be canceled in the eyes of of the culture. There's a lot of of you know um, the the uh, character assassination and and reputation trashing that happens um, when that stuff going goes on, and and so yeah, you may not be punished in in prison, um, but you certainly are going to get run over by uh, the the mob of. Of, of frustrated and angry people. Um, so th- those are the two that I talked about. And I can't remember if I talked about this one specifically or not in my sermon, but another instance of, of where we're seeing some of this interference um, with the government and the work of the church, which is to um, generate joyful cosmic obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, um, is within the schools. And there has been this, this increasing crescendo of, of the opinion of... Uh, some educators, some social activists, that parents should not have any say in what their children are learning in public schools. If it's up to them, they would say that the government gets to determine the curriculum, the government gets to determine the standards, the government gets to have their experts say, here's what we need to do, and and, and the parents get no say in it. Basically, you just have to take it or, or leave it. And, uh, and I would say that if that becomes the case, that the Christians ought to think uh, very seriously about leaving it because there, there is... Um, there's a lot of danger here there and and because nothing is neutral nothing has a there's no such thing as a neutral worldview everything is either christian and god honoring or it's pagan and it, it's not god honoring and even the places like what we saw in Ezra chapter 4 where there's just a bit of a hybrid uh that's what the samaritans had going on a little bit of a little bit of uh uh, God worship, a little bit of pagan worship, a lot of pagan worship, actually. Um, even that is incompatible. That's a broken worldview. That's still a pagan worldview because it's all Christ or nothing. Um, and so when when we send our kids into spaces that are, are indoctrinating our kids in a worldview that's contrary to a biblical worldview, we're going to find that our the discipleship efforts that we have at home and within the church are going to be severely frustrated. In fact, the statistics now of, of, of um, kids who have grown up in Christian homes that have gone to public schools or even private schools that are not Christian-centered or, or like a biblical worldview-focused— they're, they're going to go through school, and typically, I think it's like 65% of them, by the time they get out of their freshman year of college, they are either abandoning their faith or they have serious doubts about it, and they're not pursuing their discipleship any further. And so what happens with this? I mean, you go down further downstream, and you see the implications of some sort of uh, legislation like that, and it's concerning, and it needs to be something that's on our radar. And, and, and perhaps the biggest concern is the fact that this 
when we put the governmental control in in, in the hands of of the schools, um, or the, put the control of the the control of the curriculum in the hands of the government, um, we are usurping the role that God has given parents in Ephesians chapter six to teach, to train, to admonish their children in the way of the Lord. Um, and and this is important that it's not just this devotional thing of we teach them how to go to church on Sunday. It's how your whole life comes underneath this lordship of Jesus Christ, right? So uh, part of the, the the joyful cosmic submission to Jesus, um, obedience to Jesus, is that all of my life is lived in light of the lordship of Christ. And that includes education and, and mathematics and science and reading and, and, and linguistics and all of those things that education covers, geography and history, um, social sciences, all of the things that, that we um, kind of take for granted and, and maybe detach and, and compartmentalize from say, well, that's not really a spiritual matter. Well, yes, it is. The Lordship of Jesus is over those things. In fact, in all of education is meant to lead us to a greater understanding, not only of the world that God's created, but of our creator. Um, and so when, when we have taken out, um, we've taken out that from the the piece of education, we've allowed the the government to sort of dictate what's going on in the classrooms and what what are the standards and even what is the culture of the classroom going to be like. Um, there is governmental opposition that takes place um, in settings like this. Now, thankfully, um, we have not seen this legislation take root. We a lot of this stuff has not materialized, which is a good thing. Um, except if you're in Canada, which which is all should also be concerning for us. Um, because in the Western world, Canada seems to be one of the close. Like, they're one of our biggest allies. They're basically our, our next door neighbors, and uh, and though our politics and our, our political system is set up slightly different, um, or different, it's different. It's not just slightly different. But there's a lot of of common ground that we've shared for a long time, and to see them kind of tailspin like this. Um, they're just a hot mess. It should be concerning for us because it's like right up against our borders. Um, and, and you see some of this ideology um, getting cranked through and it takes root with, within the popular opinion and more and more will become at stake for us as Christians and, and people who love freedom in general, right? Um, so what, what we've seen here is this governmental, it's not like we're being thrown in jail unless you're in Canada from preaching against homosexuality and preaching a biblical sex ethic. Um, it's not criminalization in the sense yet, but there is this this emphasis or the, they're trying to see how close can we get to censoring what can be said and done by the church. And I, maybe there's nobody out there um, actually trying to um, shut down the church and shut down the mission of God. I do believe that there are people out there, and I think the enemy, Satan, is out there trying to do that, and he manipulates um, unsuspecting people to uh, to play into his schemes. Um, and so I, I don't know if, if the, the government is specifically... Um, has a lot of animosity towards the church, but you can see how some of this legislation that's being introduced is is hostile towards the church and its mission. And so far as it, it, it can be criminalized, uh, thoughts and ideas, doctrines of the church are criminalized, um, that you're told what you can and can't do. Um, they, they basically say you can have a private opinion about this, but don't you dare go make that pu- public. Don't you dare stand up behind a, a pulpit and say this because you might cause harm. And again, this is... the, the there is a sliding scale of subjectivity when when we talk about this harm of what what exactly 
uh, are we saying? It, it's kind of like um, the accusations that were brought against the people of Israel when uh, when they were living in a season where they were being faithful to God. They would not bow to um, fo- foreign kings. They would not bow to their gods. And they, in the eyes of pagans, the the, the worshipers of God were called wicked and rebellious. Yet their their rebellion was not against God. Their rebellion was against the state and the powers that be. Their wickedness was not according to God's standards in the Word of God. Their wickedness was considered of, hey, you're not playing nice with us. You're not being friendly, um, and you're not coming under our our powers. And so there's more of that kind of stuff, those dynamics that are taking place. Um, And so um, the more we get pushed into that, and if we just sort of tuck our tail between our legs and try to keep our head down and not make waves, um, we are going to get forced into a point where we are violating the commands of Scripture and our commitment to the Word of God, and uh, we, are, we are at a cer- certain point dishonoring the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our life. And so all of these things, as we see um, the government interfering, um, it, it's there, there's two big problems that arise, um, two big reasons why why this is problematic for us as Christians. First of all, as Americans, number one, it's unconstitutional. Um, The Cornell Law School sums up the First Amendment like this. The First Amendment guarantees freedoms concerning religion, expression, assembly, and the right to petition. It forbids Congress from both promoting one religion over others and also restricting an individual's religious practices. It guarantees freedom of expression by prohibiting Congress from restricting the press or the rights of individuals to speak freely. It also guarantees the rights of citizens to assemble peaceably and to petition their government. And so here in the First Amendment, we see a lot of, of things that are, are, are would should be protecting, I think are, are what's protecting um, some of the hostility and the legislation from, from sneaking up on us and, and really restricting us in a lot of those ways. So you see the stuff about speaking freely, um, not, not restricting an individual's religious practices, um, there is this thing when it talks about pr- promoting one religion over the others, which th- there's a, a level here, and I don't have time to get into this, um, but but the, it's just basically saying that the church can't, or the, excuse me, the state can't take sides of of what um, what they can't take a religion of the state, um, and so that's a good thing, I believe that that's a good thing that we have that set up. Um, we we avoid a lot of of the uh, the Anglican and the Church of England stuff that has happened. Um, that that has been problematic. Problematic, whereas this, there's been this um, unhelpful um, intermeshing of government and state, where it's not the church, or excuse me, government and the church, um, where the church basically loses its authority because the government overreaches and oversteps its bounds, um, and so that 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 is that's why that's included in this amendment, and so it is problematic because it is um, unconstitutional. And then the second problem is, even if these things were to get passed and, and there were legislation that, that comes to fruition and, and it restricts us, um, one, that's not going to stop me from preaching the scriptures. Um, and so, it, you know, if that ever becomes the case, it might be that, that your pastor goes to jail. Um, but it'll be for preaching the scriptures and for nothing else. Um, if, if this keeps going on, this is not going to be where it stops. It's, it's likely to be um, things like this get introduced into legislation and it becomes one of the first dominoes to fall, and then it just keeps on going and going and going, and it won't stop with those th- things. And, and, and the government will um, take ground. Um, it'll it'll uh, interfere with the work of the church, the mission of the church, the mission of God, and, and ground will keep being taken from us. Now, I don't say all this to be dramatic. Let me say that. 
Um, I, I'm not saying this to say, um, watch your back, America, though I think we need to be cautious. And I'm not saying that um, that that um, America is even the uh, the state that is most at danger right now. The church in, in America is even most at danger. There's because there's places that are far more hostile. You see all kinds of government uh, overreach. Um, in China, in North Korea, in places like uh, Afghanistan, where to own a Bible could be punishable even up to death, right? Even in, in North Korea, there's crazy stuff going on. And so there, is, there are places where government overreach is far, 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 far worse than what's potentially happening here in America. Um and so I'm not saying this to be a fear monger, though you might take it as that. Um, I, I'm 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 bringing this up because if we're not aware of this, if we're not, if we don't know how to um, safeguard and, and to fight biblically against these things, um, the church will be overrun. We'll, we'll eventually get our hands tied, and we won't be able to be faithful to the ministry and the mission that God has called us to. And so by addressing this issue, um, I, I bring this up because Scripture has a wealth of wisdom on how we are to operate as Christians behind enemy lines when we're in a place of hostile uh, terrain here. Because, in fact, that's a, one of the reasons why the early church blew up and, and just spread like wildfire the way that it did is because there was governmental opposition. Um, the, the, the government saw the church as a threat, uh, this movement of Jesus followers as a threat, because they, they would say it, it was the, the, the first creed of the church is Christ is Lord, Jesus is Lord, which was threatening because Caesar in the Roman world was Lord. And so here, Jesus set himself up against Caesar in a political sense. And so we need to be able to see what's going on, to have the scriptures, um, be, be able to understand the scriptures in a way that, that applies and helps us navigate this terrain. And it's something that Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, when he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so here he even says in this short little verse, listen, there, there are... There are ideologies circulating out there. There is legislation out there. There is human tradition and, and elemental spirits of the world, again, getting to the powers and the principalities that are working behind governmental structures. They're out there, and don't be taken captive by them. Don't let them tie your wrists and bind your legs. Um, be, and, and the way that you fight against this is having, um, having your mind, your heart, um, renewed according to the scriptures, according to Christ. Do not be, uh, do not be, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, right? According to the ways of Christ, according to the Lordship of Christ. And so for us, this, this, this thing is nothing new where maybe the government is interfering with the mission of God. I mean, we're starting to see that more and more, but that's not new. Um, and we should have great confidence to keep pressing on that we don't need to be fearful about this. Now, I, I hope you understand in me bringing this up and saying, listen, there, there's opposition that we're going to face um, as Americans in this society, in this day and age with legislation that might come up. I hope you understand this does not make me anti-American. In fact, I'm more pro-America than I may have ever have been in my life. I have taken a lot of things for granted um, about our government system and the way that, that our country has been set up because it has been founded um, on Christian principles and a biblical foundation. Um, it is not a theocratic theocratic nation where 
um, where the government is, where Jesus is our king and we have no human rulership. It's a democracy. And so there's, there's stuff in there. There's some nuance in there with that. But all of the, the, the principles that, that this country was built on uh, are derived from the scriptures. In fact, one of the things that made it possible was that, that to understand that um, a heart that, can, that, is in, that is not in submission to the scriptures, to the word of God, to the lordship of Jesus Christ, will not be um, willfully in submission to the local authorities, to the authorities that have been put in place, the governmental, the civil government. And so there was almost this dependency upon um, people acknowledging that God is the, the supreme one. He, he, is, he is the ruler of all things. Um, and and that is what enabled this country to be built upon that. And and right now I'm studying a lot about that. I'm reading this book called God and Government, and my mind is just exploding um, with with an appreciation for what kind of government that we have, um, and and the men who who built this government um, according to the Word of God and using the scriptures, the biblical principles, to do so. And I think that. As we strengthen our churches or strengthen individuals with the Word of God, right, because it starts with us, it starts with our daily reading time, we strengthen uh, the individuals, our churches will be strengthened. We have, um, when our churches are strengthened, we'll have stronger communities, and when we have stronger communities, our city will be uh, embedded. Um, We will have a stronger county and then into uh, a state and country. All of this helps. Um, So when the churches are strong, when the people of God are strong and are resolute um, in the convictions that we have from Scripture and we're faithful to the mission of God, we will experience blessings from God. Faithfulness will bring about blessings. And it may not be, you know, you you hit the jackpot. That's not the kind of blessings that we're after, but but the more um, satisfying blessings and the more life-preserving blessings um, that God gives to his people. And so this is, these are some of the places where um, when we talk about governmental opposition, we saw that with Ezra. We're seeing some of that arise today, and we need to be aware of it. We need to be thoughtful about it. How do we interact with it? How does the scriptures help us navigate this? And how do we, how do we like not just roll over and play dead? Um, because we have we have a couple things going for us. First of all, we have the scriptures that command us to obey God and to do that, even if it's if it's running contrary to the law of the land. Um, it is more prudent for us to obey God than to obey man. And if having to make a choice, um, we, we do better to disobey man than to disobey God. So that's the first thing. Uh, and the second thing is just being Americans, we have the Constitution that helps us, that protects our freedoms uh, to, be, to be able to worship and to preach and to teach biblical doctrines as they need to be taught to a culture that is very much in rebellion to God. Um, and, and, and Lord willing, conversions will take place and we live on mission to people that, who, we, who have not yet met Jesus and they come to know him and we get to see them submit more and more of their life to Christ just as we do that ourselves because that's what discipleship is. It's an increasing submission to, of all of our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so that gives me a little bit more time here to unpack some of those things that are going on, give a little bit more insight or, or pro- provide some context to some of those things and say, hey, listen, uh, we have to be on guard. We just need to we need to be aware of this as Christians and not turn a blind eye to this. And then as the Lord commands us and the Lord directs us to step into some of these fights where where maybe we need to also um, start start rallying behind some legislation to to you know when a a, a, con- a law contrary to the word of God arises, well we should go fight that because that is an unjust law. So um, 
that's all I got for today. Okay. So hopefully that was helpful. I know I had a couple questions about like, what do you mean exactly about government opposition? And so hopefully that gives a little bit of, of clarity on some of those things. Um, and, and next week we'll keep pressing on and we'll see, um, that the word of God prevails against the authorities that be, um, and that's a right thing to happen and, and how God uses a prophetic word to revoke his people back to the mission. So I'm looking forward to opening up the word of God with you again on Sunday, studying the scriptures and asking the Lord to move, uh, mightily among us that our lives, our hearts would be reformed according to the word of God and, and, and enjoy, right? Going back to this joyful obedience, Uh, joyful cosmic obedience to the lordship of christ jesus that's what we're about um i love you guys can't wait to see you on sunday have a great rest of your week